seated. Man, it's a privilege to be with you, as always, and um, God is at work. He's at work not only in our lives, but he's here at work here in the chapel, and in one way we want to highlight this morning before we jump into the book of Acts is that God is at work in our student ministries here, so turn your attention to the screens real quick. Oh, it's... Let's, let's try it again. There we're we go. We're super excited. We know that a lot of our high schoolers have mentioned that they are ready to start meeting on a weekly basis at their campus, and the chapel is ready to make it happen. That's right. Each campus, every week, 6 o'clock to 7.30, we're going to have a lot of fun activity, some food, a Bible study, and just a lot of fellowship and fun with each other. So come on out. Bring your friends. Bring yourself. September 11th is our launch. We are super excited. We want to see you there. Get ready. Okay, tell us when to go. Like, give us a countdown or something. I don't know. I'm so <laughs> We're gonna have some food. We're gonna have some Bible study. We're gonna have some Bible study. Maybe. Fun activities. Food. Jesus. Fellowship. Party in the house with Jesus. Yes. That's the high school ministries. Yes. So we just want to highlight, so we've been doing last Sundays and where, where they meet at Sandusky every last Sunday of each month, but we're, we're going back to meeting at each campus every single Sunday night starting September 11th from 6 to 7.30. And so high schoolers, you'll be meeting uh, in the student center, which is the, the house right next door here on the other side of the parking lot. And, um, and so definitely come out to that. Let people know. We would love to uh, just absolutely pour into our high school ministry here in Port Clinton. So uh, speaking of high school, many of you probably can remember the jobs you've had in your life. Can't you all the way from high school? Do you remember your first job that you ever had? Some of you are like, yes, absolutely. Some of you are a lot older and have no clue. And that's okay. Um, uh, but I can remember all of my jobs in my life, okay? So first, I was a baseball umpire, and that's where I learned I do not like things coming fast at my face at all. Uh, one time, there was a, it was a perfectly thrown strike. I flinched like this, and um, the coach got really mad, and the umpire out in the field called the strike for me, okay? That's not even legal in baseball, but I got too scared of the ball. Uh, I was a church janitor after that at the church I grew up at. That was the only job, fun fact, that I ever got fired from. Not kidding. From my own church. Uh, landscaping, that's when I learned that I do not have, um, what you say, like um, hands that to work outside. I have computer hands. And uh, I learned that real quick landscaping, and I quit very fast. Uh, I worked in a restaurant throughout high school and college. That is a time or dark seasoned because restaurant work is not easy work and uh, not good influences there. Then I was a camp counselor, worked at camp. That's when God began to really work in my life in a, in a very particular way, kind of leading me into ministry a little bit. After that, I was a baseball and basketball coach, and that's when I figured out I loved teaching, I loved pouring into other people and helping people figure out their potential and helping them along the way. And then after being a coach, 
um, that's when I, uh, God graciously worked in my life to then be a pastor, which I've done ever since. And so I can remember all of my job. What's fascinating is I can't remember anything else in the, in the midst of those times. If you try to think back of your life, you can, you can remember the jobs you had, but really the, the, other, the other things happening in life, sometimes you can't remember at all. Uh, but we can certainly remember where we worked in those seasons. And why is that? It's because on average, a person works 90,000 hours in your lifetime. That's why. 90,000 hours, which brings us to 5,400,000 minutes in your life, which then brings us to 324 million seconds in your life, which comes to approximately 11,258-hour days that we work. That's a third of our lives that you are spending at your jobs, working in your life. That's a lot of time. And the reality is, is that some of us absolutely love our jobs and we cannot wait to get back to them. But others of us, we only do it to pay the bills, right? And so no matter where you fall on that spectrum, whether you're in the job you absolutely love and you want to go back to every single day, or if you're on the other side where you dread going, uh, but you do it because you know that the bills have to get paid, no matter where you are, that's exactly where God wants you to be right now. It's exactly where God wants you to be right now. There's a worldly idea out there that uh, you should and uh, you should have a job that you absolutely love all the time that is fulfilling and satisfying. That's the, that's the dream, isn't it? And so until you find your purpose in life, then you can be happy if you absolutely find that. But, but if we're all honest with ourselves, a lot of times we never get to that place, do we? And so then we live our lives completely unsatisfied and unfulfilled because we're always looking for that actual job that probably doesn't exist. And so we have to fight this this temptation to always want that fulfilling and satisfying job if we're not in it right now because if we're always looking forward to something else or something bigger or something greater, you know what that's going to do? That's going to breed discontentment, envy, jealousy, and the list goes on. Uh, unhappiness, bitterness, all whatever else can come into our hearts will if we're always looking for something different. And when you do that, when you live your lives always searching for a job just to fulfill you, you're missing out on bringing God glory and making an eternal impact where God has you right now. If you don't look right in front of you and see what, where God has you now, you're, you're going to miss out. You're going to miss out on what God wants you to do in this season of life. In Acts chapter 18, which is where we are going to be today. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to Acts chapter 18. And we're also going to be in Colossians chapter 3. And so we're going to be kind of jumping back and forth. Uh, In Acts chapter 18, Paul sets for us a great example of how we should embrace where God has us and how we should work for his glory and how when we work for his glory, it's going to make an eternal impact on others in our lives. And so let's jump into Acts chapter 18, and we're just going to really hone in on the first three verses. And so let's jump in. We're going to begin just pretty quick with verse 1. 
It says, then Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, okay? And so we're going to stop there and kind of go back on what's going on in Acts, because if you weren't with us last weekend, we went, it was a vision weekend, our 2023 vision weekend, where we kind of pointed, looked at what God had been doing and and where we're going as a church. Uh, But two weeks ago, in Acts chapter 17, we learned that Paul was in Athens. And so for you visual learners here, if you look To the left corner, you see Athens, and that's where Paul was in Athens waiting for Silas and Timothy, and he was waiting for them, and as he's waiting for them, he sees these these idols, okay, just all over the place. One commentator says there's probably 150,000 idols within Athens, and then there's this one idol that was to the unknown God, and Paul took that And he was like, I know who that God is. And so he was speaking new things, and they put him in front of the Areopagus, and he was able to speak to all these people about something new, and that was Jesus and the resurrection. And some people mocked him. Others had questions, and some believed. God was working. God was moving through Paul in Athens. And so he was in Athens, but he must have really wanted to get out of Athens because he took the trek from Athens to Corinth alone. In the beginning of chapter 17, he's waiting for Silas and Timothy. They're still not there yet. And he's like, I got to get out of this town. And so he treks the 50 miles over to Corinth, which is a beautiful city. It's a beautiful city. It's well-known. It's known for its wealth and its luxury, but it also means that it has a reputation of debauchery and immorality. And so this town is desperately in need, desperately in need of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Even though Paul was walking into this city in weakness and in fear, which is what he tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he says, when I arrived, I arrived weak and in fear of what was going on. And so we don't know what prompted Paul to leave Athens, uh, but something prompted him to leave before Silas and Timothy ever showed up in his life. But it was exactly what God wanted him to do. It's exactly where God wanted Paul to go. Right when he arrived, encouraging things began to happen, though. And so let's look at verse 2. There in Corinth, he became acquainted with a Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who recently arrived from Italy with his wife Priscilla. They had left Italy when Claudius Caesar deported all Jews from Rome. So we're introduced here. He shows up into Corinth, and we're introduced to two people he met. He met Aquila and his wife Priscilla. They lived in Italy, and because of Claudius' decree, they were kicked out and had to find somewhere else to go. It's actually pretty fascinating why they were kicked out of Italy. I like what R.C. Sproul says. It says, the decree came about in Italy uh, because of a disruption and upheaval going on in the city of Rome due to the teachings of one Jewish person named Crestorus. In the writing of Roman historian Suetonius is a mention of Jesus. His name is misspelled Crestorus, sorry, Crestus, that's it. I was adding an R in there, which reflects the pagan pronunciation of the name Christus, which the Greek name for Jesus. And so Sproul reminds us here that there's this big upheaval going on in Rome because of this name, this guy by the name of Christus, which is Jesus Christ. 
So apparently Rome has this turmoil. I can only imagine when Paul meets Aquila and they kind of start talking, right? Like, how's the weather today or what's your name, all this stuff. They start talking and Aquila's like, yeah, we just had to leave Rome because, because of Jesus. Can you imagine what Paul was thinking in that moment? Like, wait a minute. The name of Jesus is being spread all the way into Rome, and, and, it, and it's changing people's lives so much so that, that Rome wants to get rid of all you Jewish people who, who are talking about Jesus. I can imagine that they had this instant connection because here you have Paul on this missionary journey just, just preaching the name of Jesus everywhere, and then he hears about what's going on in Rome and how people are being persecuted because of Jesus, and you can just so excited for the message of Jesus Christ to be spreading all over the world. But this whole meeting of Aquila and Priscilla is a beautiful display of God's providence. Isn't it? It's, it's God's providence. Something pushed Paul out of Athens to Corinth. Uh, Claudius pushed Aquila and Priscilla out of Italy to Corinth, and here we have amazing people who meet together. Claudius was trying to stomp out the message of Jesus. Someone was trying to push Paul out because of the message of Jesus, but here we have them together, and God is going to use them as vital instruments of grace and truth in Corinth. This reminds me and is very reminiscent of Genesis 50-20. If you don't know the story, this is at the end of Genesis where Joseph is talking to his brothers after they had sold them into slavery. And Joseph says, you intended to harm me. If you don't know the story, they threw him into a pit. They were going to kill him. They decided not to. And then they ended up selling him to some people. Not very nice brothers. Um, but God intended it all for good. So you intended it to harm me, but God intended all of it for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Uh, throughout the story, he ends up being second in command in Egypt and saving the lives of his, of his family through a famine. Uh, it's a pretty remarkable story if you want to go and read it in Genesis. And that's exactly what's happening here in Acts chapter 18. We see uh, people trying to harm Aquila and Priscilla. We see people trying to harm Paul. And yet here we have things going wrong for them and yet God using it for good. God using it for good in their lives. So often people try to harm us or hinder us in our, our lives. And, and it's only after we walk through this situation where we're able to look back and realize that God was doing this for our good in our lives. So God's providence led Paul to meet Aquila and Priscilla, who not only were Jews like he was, but they also were skilled in the same trade. And this is pretty awesome because in verse 3 it says, Paul lived and worked with them, for they were tent makers just as he was. They were skilled in the same trade. Uh, when you hear the term tent maker, I think all of us picture this, don't we? As if Paul worked at REI. But that's not what Paul did, all right? When you think of tent makers, you gotta think something more elaborate. When I was in high school, my dad had apparently a midlife crisis, and he went to the army surplus store, and he bought this massive, just 40 by 20 um, 
just Desert Storm tent or something like this. It's insanely big, and it's thick, though. Like, the cloth that's on it is just probably two inches thick. It takes a bunch of guys to put this up. They put it up once a year at deer camp, and they call it the womb because it's warm, and it's cozy, and it's an endless supply of food in there, okay? It's, it's, you do not want to go there, okay? Uh, and so... Um, but, but those are the types of tents that I think of. I think of my dad's midlife crisis tent. And so, uh, but they're thick and they're big. It's a whole skill and it's a whole trade. Uh, Tony Merida says this, some of the church fathers rendered the term tent maker as leather worker. Since tents were often made of leather, this description is likely true in a sense. Others suggest Paul was more of a cloth worker who manufactured tents using goat's hair. Regardless of exactly what job involved, Paul, like other rabbis, knew how to work with his hands, not just with their mind. He was able to do what others have to do, could make a living in a secular vocation. Uh, This is really important for us to understand because in our lives, when... um, we travel, or when Paul was traveling, there were times in his life where uh, churches would support him. There were times where he would get to a certain place, and the church was there, the synagogue was there, and he would be supported so that he could continue on the ministry and, and solely focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ. But then there were other times like this, where he shows up in Corinth alone, and he has no way of making any finances to live or do anything like that. And so, um, when he showed up in Corinth, it was very important for him to make sure that he had some finances or some funds coming in so he could live, so that he could have food, so that he could have a place to stay. But he wasn't a tent maker first. If you've been with us in Acts, you got to remember Paul's mission in life was to be a witness to the Jews and Gentiles, most likely the Gentiles, throughout to the ends of the earth. And that's where we, what we've seen Paul doing in the book of Acts, is that he's just on his missionary journey. So he's a rabbi first. God gets a hold of him in his life, meets him on the road to Damascus. Then he's being this witness. But he has this skill in this trade just in case he needs to work for some finances. And so there are times where he's provided by the church, but there are other times where he has to step up and where he has to use his trade to make sure he can continue to live. And in fact, in verse 5, we're told that Silas and Timothy arrived in Corinth and they found him. And what's fascinating is that they arrived with two things. First, they arrived with good news about the Thessalonian church, which we talked about. And then they also arrived with a missionary offering. And we learn that from 2 Corinthians eleven nine. And so what's interesting is that when Silas and Timothy show up, they actually show up with some funds to help them on their missionary journey to continue to plant churches. And so Paul was this tent maker, and most likely he shows up in Corinth, and Aquila and Priscilla have a business making tents, and he probably just walked in. I'm speculating here, but he probably just walked in and said, hey, I'm a tent maker. I would love some work. And that's when their relationship began, is through tent making, either sitting next to each other or working for each other, however it happened. But they were making tents, and they began this relationship, and God was going to use them for his glory and for the sake of others. I love what this shows us, is that Paul was not above working or doing what's necessary for the glory of God and for an eternal impact in people's lives. 
Like I said before, a lot of us think we're above certain jobs. A lot of us think we're above certain things where we don't want to do those things or I've done that my whole life or, or I don't need to do that anymore, whatever the case may be. But that shouldn't ever be the case because none of us are above anything. We should always be willing to do something where God has us for an eternal impact in people's lives. If God has you in a season, in a job that you don't particularly enjoy, that's okay because that's where God has you for his glory and for the eternal impact of other people. Paul understood this. He understood what it meant to work, to do what's necessary for those two things. And he wanted us to understand this as well. And this is where we get to Colossians chapter 3. So if you're in your Bibles, you can turn there a little bit. Colossians 3.17, Paul says this, and whatever you do, and just remember, he's writing the letter to the Colossian uh, church, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. He says the same thing in and to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 10.31, whatever you eat, drink, or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Paul knew the posture necessary in whatever you do. He knew the posture it took that was necessary in whatever God has you doing, wherever God has you. The posture should be the same. We should do it all with gratitude, giving glory to God. Let me just say that a little one more time. Wherever God has you right now, our posture, those who follow Jesus, our posture should be the same no matter what's going on. We do it all in gratitude, giving glory to God. If you have kids, you know how hard this is for all of us, right? <laughs> have you ever asked your kid to do something when they don't want to do it? What happens? Do they just do it willingly? Like, yes, dad, of course I will. And they walk off and they do it? Absolutely not. They huff, they puff, they ask why, they grumble. They end up getting sidetracked and don't do it. And then you have to yell at them again to do it as well. Like, clean your room. Uh, no, seriously, clean your room. Don't get distracted. They huff and they puff. You know what? That's actually exactly like adults, isn't it? <laughs> I think some of us in this room, if we're all completely honest with ourselves, there are times where there's something we should be doing, and we huff, and we puff, and we grumble, and we ask why, we get distracted, and we don't ever go back to it. You see, we learn at a very young age to not, not be grateful, to not have gratitude, to not do certain things that we don't want to do. Why? Because we're selfish. We're selfish, we're self-focused, we're whatever, the, however you want to say it, prideful, we think we're above it, whatever the case may be. And yet, that's the opposite of what God calls us to do, people who follow Jesus. Rather, we should be doing it with gratitude, giving glory to God, whatever it may be in that moment. That should be the posture that we approach each situation. In the same chapter in Colossians 3, Paul continues on, and he's talking about a lot of things. And the word slaves here, just to, just to 
is different than what we know of slaves, okay? Uh, obviously, he's talking to people who are providing for their families, all right? And they work for someone. And so he's talking to people who work for people. He said, slaves, obey your masters, your earthly masters, in everything you do. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. Serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear of the Lord. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people, Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. Um, And then it goes on. Just kidding. We left out the last part. But if you do what is wrong, you will be paid back for the wrong you have done, for God has no favorites. And so he goes on to show how there's some consequences. I love what Paul says here in Colossians 3 because of what he doesn't say. Like I mentioned before, he doesn't say find your calling. He doesn't say do what fulfills you. And he doesn't say jump from job to job until you're satisfied. Rather, he encourages us to embrace where we are because God has you there for a reason. So he says, slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do, in everything you do. He wants us to be different than the other people with bad attitudes in their jobs. Have you worked with someone like that before? who is just brings you down every single time you talk to them at work because they always hate being there and they make it known. Maybe if you haven't heard that, maybe it's you. I don't know. (laughs) People have terrible work ethics. You've worked with them as well, probably stepping up and doing what they should be doing. People who don't care about what they do. What we need to understand is that the way we work reflects our true character doesn't it? The way we work, what we do reflects our true character, who we truly are in life. And we have to remember that as we work for people that we need to reflect our true character. And then one of those first things is obedience. And then he continues on, how should we follow, uh, how should those who follow Jesus approach their jobs. So what character traits should flow from our hearts as we work for the glory of God and for an eternal impact in someone's life? And so Paul shows us that in Colossians 3, um, and and we're going to go through about four points here. So first, we need to work with integrity. Look what he says in verse 22. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. There's a lot to integrity, but one of the definitions out there is that integrity is doing the right thing even when no one's looking, correct? And that's integrity. It's, it's doing the right thing when no one's looking. We've all failed at that, haven't we? We've all said, no one's around. I'm not going to do it the way I should. I'm going to cut corners and I'm going to get it done so I can go home. Maybe you've done that before in your life. That's not integrity. I love what John Piper says. Be absolutely and meticulously honest and trustworthy on the job. Be on time. Give a full day's work. More people rob their employers by being slackers than by stealing the petty cash. By not doing what is right, by, by, not, by not doing what is expected of them even when no one is watching. We should work with integrity because we represent Jesus in our lives. We represent Jesus in our lives. In 2 Corinthians, Paul reminds the Corinthian church, he says, listen, we are ambassadors of Christ. We represent him in all we do, 
And that includes our job. We are ambassadors for Christ. We represent Jesus. And so what we do reflects, directly reflects who Jesus is. And so we need to work with integrity. He goes on to share we should work with sincerity. Sincerity, verse 22 again, serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear of the Lord. Sincerity, sincerity means to be free from deceit or hypocrisy, which means to do what you say. To do what you say. If you say you're going to do it, then do it. That's what sincerity means. To do what you say. Serve them sincerely, but why do we do it? That's the big question. Well, it's right here. Serve them sincerely. Why? Because of your reverent fear of the Lord. Our sincerity is founded upon our reverent fear of God. Not a scared fear like I'm scared of spiders and stuff like that, but a reverent respect for who God is in our lives, in this world. And so we do what we say because of who God is. Do do you understand that? So I want you to think of a time where you weren't sincere, where you didn't do what you said. Were you thinking about who God was in that moment? Absolutely not, were you? When we fail to do what we say, we're not keeping in mind who the God of the universe is, his character traits, and what he has done for us undeservedly. He sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to to die in our place, to give his life for for our life so that we may have life and life to the full, as John 10, 10 says. When you keep that in mind and that trickles down to our work, then it's going to be very easy to do what we say, isn't it? Because of who God is and what he has done for us. If we lack sincerity in the workplace, we most likely lack sincerity with God and in our spiritual lives. Work sincerely. Next, we should work willingly. I'm going to go back one. We should work willingly. Verse 23 in Colossians, work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. So whatever, wherever God has you, all of us in this room, I can see your faces, all of us, God has us in a different place. Wherever God has you, Work willingly, work freely with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord. And so if you do have a job you do not like going to, or if you are going into a day where it's just a rough day, you can change your attitude, you can change your mindset by simply thinking about who God is and that your work is for him. And if you go into each day that way, it's going to change your perspective on the day, isn't it? It's going to change the way you interact with people. It's going to change the way you think about people. It's going to change the way you treat people because of who God is and who you're working for. Paul encourages us to work willingly because of our work has an eternal impact on other people. Our work has an eternal impact on other people as you interact with them, the way you treat them, the way you think about them. It directly affects other people in our lives. Uh, The last one, work expectantly. 
Work expectantly. It says, remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. So here's the, the second reminder who we actually are working for in this life. Uh, this is not a, if you are good at work, you get a reward, okay? So don't be thinking that, like, oh, I can, I can earn my salvation through this, or I can earn my rewards. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward. Uh, he's saying, remember, all of life should be lived with an eternal mindset, Because when our life ends here on this earth, it doesn't end. It continues on in eternity with Jesus. And that's our eternal inheritance is that we get to uh, be with Jesus for eternity in heaven. Listen, we need to live today thinking eternally rather than temporally. Do you get that? At the same time, we need to be thinking about today and not always about uh, what's going to happen next week and all that stuff. But we should always be operating with this eternal mindset, understanding that everything we do is connected to the eternal inheritance that we receive through Jesus Christ. Again, when we work expectantly like that, it changes everything, doesn't it? It changes our demeanor, it changes our mindset, it changes how we treat people, it changes everything when we understand that this is bigger than us. Because it is bigger than us. God has you right where he wants you. Whatever job it is, he has you right where he wants you so that you can have an eternal impact on the people that you work with, on the customers you serve, on your family members who are part of the same business, whatever the case may be. He has you there to make an eternal impact on other people. Paul showed up in Corinth alone. And he had to do what he had to do. He embraced his trade, and he ended up staying there, we're told in Acts 18, for a year and a half. A year and a half with these people. He stayed in Corinth and he, he taught them and he worked with them and he shared the gospel. I can imagine how many uh, conversations over the goat hair he had with Aquila and Priscilla. Which, by the way, Aquila and Priscilla are then used by God to, to then uh, work in a, a man named Apollos' life. And Apollos then becomes a huge factor in the church. And so there we have God's providence through it all. That just by being simply faithful within his trade... Tent making, God used him to then just impact people's lives for eternity, but it took him to embrace it. He didn't walk in and say, hey, I just spoke at the Areopagus. Where do I speak here? No, he sat down at the table and he started making tents, and God used him right where he was at. Paul embraced where God had him, and he worked for the glory of God, which impacted people for eternity. And I'm telling you, God has you where you should be so that you can impact people for eternity as well. We just have to have the right mindset. We have to have the right spirit and character as we work. And so before I close today, and I'm I'm out of time, I just want to say what an honor and a privilege it has been to serve with you and to be here with you at this church for all these years. It's been amazing to see God work in so many people's hearts and lives, and I cannot wait to see what God is going to do in the next season here at the chapel. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your grace, 
for your mercy. I thank you that you, you send us and you put us places where you want to use us. God, I pray that we would all approach and embrace where you have us so that we can make an eternal impact for your glory and for the sake of others. God, we love you, and we, we just give you this entire morning over to you today. Amen. 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 thought it'd be appropriate for us to close in prayer for Ryan and Alyssa and their family. And I want to just read a verse to me as I was thinking about who Ryan is and what he represents. I was drawn to the end of Romans chapter 11. And if you've been around Ryan, either on staff like Spencer and I have, or being um, with him here at Port Clinton, you know that a big part of Ryan's life, like it should be for all of us, is what he just taught is God's glory and doing it for him. And to me, this is the, the benediction verse for Ryan's time here at the chapel. For from him and through him and to him are all things, and to him be glory forever. Amen. That's Ryan. That's Alyssa. Whether it's adopting Ethan or going to Michigan or wherever it is, it's always to God, for God, and through him for his glory. And I know that's their family, and we're blessed to have him and blessed to see what's happening in the next season of their life. So could you just stretch your arms out like you're praying for Ryan right now? And Spencer and I, we're up here, and I'll, I'll pray for us. And so, Lord, we commission Ryan and Alyssa and their sweet family, Vivian and Myra, Dean and Edie and Ethan, all of them, as they pack up this week and they head out in the U-Haul truck at the end of this week, to Michigan. God, they are going to serve a church. They are going to be your ambassador. They're going to work for your glory. Thank you for Ryan's impact here. Thank you that all that he has meant to each one of us here, and thank you for those who have not gotten to meet him yet who will be impacted by he and Alyssa and their family going forward. We love him so much, and we're thankful for him. In Jesus' name, amen. Say goodbye to him here, and then, of course, later at 11.45 at Danbury. Thank you.